0: Good morning, friends. Today, I want to talk to you about the struggle. It's in Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 25. And I'd like to begin with three observations about our text. And observation number one is this. Romans 7 is a passage that grips us because we understand exactly what it is saying. We see it in ourselves. When Romans 7 is read, everyone says, Amen. Yep, that's right. That's true. That's me. Observation number two, Romans 7, tells us about the uh, Christian life as we experience it much of the time. Paul is not discussing the life of an unbeliever. He's not describing an immature or a carnal Christian. He's describing the mature Christian life as it's experienced much of the time by the people of God. In fact, when I read this, I think that what you have in Romans 7 is Paul's spiritual autobiography of his, his experience as a follower of Jesus. You read the text, and Paul constantly says, I, 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 and it's not past tense. It's present tense. It seems to me that what we have here is not Paul's theory or Paul's practice, but Paul's actual experience of the Christian life as he lives it day after day after day after day. Observation number three. Though some of us would perhaps like it, there is no real escape from Romans 7 in the Christian life. Let me go a step beyond that to say that Romans 7 does not comprehend everything that might be said about the spiritual life. It's not the whole story. It's important that you understand that because this text does not stand in isolation. It's wedged between two chapters that lay the groundwork for the Christian's triumph over sin in this life. Paul is presenting a unified viewpoint of which Romans 6 is a part, Romans 7 is a part, and Romans 8 is a part. We need all three parts for a well-rounded Christian life, and I, I, I'd encourage you to read those three chapters sometime this coming week. <clears throat> Let me go a step beyond that and say I believe that the path to God's blessings for your life goes right through Romans seven fourteen to 25 The experience that Paul is talking about here is a necessary part of your walk with Jesus. And God put these verses in the Bible for your blessing. He put them because they reflect a part of life that all of us experience, but rarely talk about when we come to church on Sunday mornings. So I think what we need to do is to go back into the text and see what it really says. I mean, what is it that we find when we come to Romans 714 to 25? Well, if I could put it in one word, well, it's the title of the sermon. We find Struggle. If you want another word, conflict, or another word, war. So we've got struggle and conflict and war. That's what Paul says was going on in his life as a follower of Jesus. And I think we can say that that is what is going to go on in your life, my life, if you and I decide to follow Jesus. You're going to have a struggle. You're going to have a conflict. You're going to experience inner warfare. Paul says the problem is not simply sin on the outside, but the problem we must face is sin on the inside. You see, the problem is not simply temptation out there, but temptation in here. For all Christ followers, sin is not something simply outside of us, but Paul clearly is saying that sin is something that we must wrestle with on the inside every day. It reminds me of that cartoon strip Pogo where the hero comes and says, we have met the enemy and he is us. That's what Paul is saying. The enemy is us. The enemy is not just out there somewhere. Yes, the enemy is on the inside. He's infiltrated into our very being. Which is why, you know, when the people clap and cheer and applaud you for a great performance, there's something on the inside of you that's saying, oh, wait a minute, if you knew the way I really am, you wouldn't be clapping, you wouldn't be cheering. That's what Paul is talking about. Now, why is it that there is this struggle inside of every believer? The answer is very simple. It's two words. Indwelling sin. Let's look at the text. Paul says it twice, very plainly. Verse 17. As it is, it is no longer I myself doing it, but it is sin living in me. And in verse 20, he uses that same phrase, sin living in me. Paul says that sin is present in the members of his body. He says that whenever he wants to do good, evil is right there with me. And friend, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will never be completely free from the pull of the sin inside you. As long as you are in your mortal bodies, you will wrestle with sin. In verse 24, Paul cries out in kind of desperation, What a wretched man I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Have you ever thought about the fact that sin is the reason your body grows old, your body decays, your body dies? I mean, there's a sin principle working inside your body. Paul lays bare the struggle between the liberated mind, which knows Jesus, and the indwelling principle of sin in the body of the believer. What Paul is saying is that there is a war that is going on inside the heart of everybody who follows Jesus. A struggle, a war, a conflict that goes on 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 52, years, 52 weeks a year, year in, year out. I mean, nobody, and I mean nobody, ever comes to a place where he or she can say, I don't struggle anymore. The war is over. Friends, if you're a believer, that will always be true of your experience. As long as you live, the struggle is going to go on. Now, if you study this text, you're going to find that it falls into three parts. Paul confesses his own personal struggle with sin, and each one of these confessions reveals a different aspect of the struggle we face as believers to live victoriously in Jesus. So, first of all, the struggle to live up to what you know you ought to be. Verses 15 to 17. I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do... And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. And it is. It is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. I hope you caught that. I do not understand what I do. You know, that's an amazing confession. I mean, you hear little kids say that all the time. They'll throw a rock through the window. They'll break a plate. They'll hit their brother or sister. And when you ask, why did you do that? They will give you the one absolutely dependable answer. I don't know. What Paul is saying is that, saying is true for all of us. There are times in life that we do something really, really stupid. When somebody asks us why we did it, the only answer we can come up with is, I don't know. I mean, why did you say that? I don't know. Why did you go to that place or sign that lease or make that deal or break that promise? The only answer you can really come up with is, I don't really know why. I mean, something just moved within me and I did it and I don't really understand it. Well, friends, you're in good company because that's what Paul said. Many times I do things and afterwards I don't understand why I did them. Then here's his confession. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. And this is really confessing a struggle within his own soul. Paul is saying that he feels like a split personality. He feels like there's a continual civil war living inside his heart. It's almost as if he feels that two people live inside of him, or as if he hears two voices, one calling him this way, one calling him that way. And he says, I want to do good, but I don't do it. But the thing that I don't want to do, I do anyway. Now, someone once said that the Apostle Paul must have been a golfer, because a golfer can really understand this principle. You line up the putt, you see it's supposed to break to the right, so you hit it to break right, and it goes left. That which you do, you don't do. The thing you don't want to do, you do. It's the human situation. So let me draw a conclusion. Knowing and doing are two different things. You can know the right thing, and you can still do the wrong thing. That kind of leads me to this obvious point. Knowledge will never save anyone. There must be something else, something deeper working within us. And that leads me to make this conclusion. Even if you are a follower of Jesus, you're not as good as you think you are, and you're worse then you'd like to admit. That's the first struggle. The struggle to live up to what you know you ought to be as a Christ follower. <clears throat> Second, the struggle to come to grips with repeated personal failure. In verses 18 to 20, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do, no, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Again, this phrase, the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Paul was saying this as an apostle, as a follower of Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you can understand these words. They'll make sense to you. If these words don't make any sense to you at all, it may be because you've never come to Jesus because those who are truly born of God develop in their hearts a deep and honest and holy hatred of sin. It has been said that the closer you come to God, the less you will sin, and the more of a sinner you'll recognize yourself to be. When you come close to God, you'll sin less, and the greater will be your understanding of how deeply sinful you have been and you truly are. On a regular basis, as a pastor, people came to my office or phoned me or emailed me to confess some deep personal failure. Sometimes they were new Christians, but more often than not, uh, they were pretty mature Christians. I mean, sometimes it was a first-time sin. More often it was for a sin they'd been struggling with for a long time. And you know what? After 30 years as a pastor, and I say this thoughtfully, it's almost impossible to shock me now. I've heard so much, so many confessions. I have heard the people of God confess their sins but not Much surprises me anymore. Now, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you're immune to temptation and the pull of sin. And I'll tell you this, no man ever went broke betting on the reality of total human depravity. If you ask, you know, what verses do you really believe at this point in your life? Well, I'll tell you a few verses I really believe. Romans 3.10, there's no one who does good. No, not one. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans six twenty three The wages of sin is death. Numbers thirty two twenty three. Be sure your sin will find you out. Jeremiah seventeen nine. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. First John one seven. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from every sin. <clears throat> In 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All i are saying, friends, is you don't have to convince me of the reality of indwelling sin. Not in the lives of believers and not in my own personal life. Because I see too much and I hear too much and I experience too much. When I stand in front of the mirror, what I see is a man who struggles with sin every single day. It's hard for us as believers to come to grips with what Paul is saying here. We try to come up with the spiritual formulas to get us out of Romans 7, but I don't see anything like that in the text. What I see is that you've got to face the reality of Romans 7, or you'll never get to Romans chapter 8. You've got to come to grips with repeated personal failure. The first step in healing is to admit that you're sick. I mean, healthy people don't go to doctors, only sick people do. The people who are made better by the power of God are the people who are not ashamed to admit the weakness and the failure and the struggle that they are undergoing in their own personal lives. That's the second struggle. Here's the third one. It's the struggle to admit the true nature of the war within. Verses 21 to 24. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in my members' of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Well, here we move to the next level. It's the intense struggle to own up to the war within. In verse 21, Paul says, When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. Now, the Greek word for right there with me means right beside me. It means I'm here and evil is glued to my side. It means I'm joined with sin like a Siamese twin. Everywhere I go, evil goes with me. Even when I want to do good, all I have to do is reach out my hand and I can touch evil. It's right there. And then he uses military terms to describe the struggle. Waging war, making me a prisoner. Now, the Greek word for waging war means to line up the troops and go out on a military campaign. Paul is saying that indwelling sin is constantly lining up to do battle with us, to pull us down, to destroy us, to discourage us, to ultimately pull us away from God. Evil is not only with us, it's waging war inside of us all of the time. And friends, I'll say it again, you, you are going to struggle with sin as long as you're in the body you're in. I mean, there's no amount of going to church that's going to change that fact. Now, I stopped believing in miracle cures. Years ago, I, I no longer believe in these three-step programs that will free you from sin forever. Why is that? It's because I've read Romans 7, and I see a most godly man admitting the truth about the struggle within his own, within his own soul. If Paul struggled, it will happen to me, it will happen to you. We're going to struggle. You know, the real battles are not the ones on the outside, they're on the inside. It's a struggle that goes on in your mind and in your heart between the pull of the flesh in the pull of the Holy Spirit. That battle goes on every Sunday morning. You know, we look nice in church. We're cleaned up, we're dressed up, we've showered, we've shaved, we put some stuff on that makes us smell good. But behind every smiling face is the story of struggle, heartache, despair, defeat, victory, cowardice, bravery, fear, courage, all mixed up together. Though we look very good when we come to church, in truth, if we could see our souls it would be more appropriate to picture us as a group of soldiers staggering out of the jungles of Guadalcanal. See, that's what life is like. Some of us barely make it to church because it's been a difficult week. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, and in every way we've struggled through the last seven days. And you know what? That's okay. It's a struggle to come to church and admit the truth. We'd all rather think, you know, I look good, you look good, so I don't have any problems, you don't have any problems. The truth is, healing cannot begin until we say, there is a battle inside of me. I'm really struggling, and I can barely make it. When people come to me and say, I'm really struggling, I'm always encouraged, because I can go right back to Romans 7 and say, guess what? Friend, you're in good company. If you're really struggling, if you feel there's a war within you, you have a lot in common with the greatest Christian who ever lived. That leads me to say something else, too. Most of us are going to struggle with some sins for many, many years. We're going to win some battles through Jesus, and we're going to win a lot of battles and no significant amounts of victory. Don't let anything I said mislead you. If it seems complete, remember, Romans 8 is just around the corner. And I'm not giving you the whole story in this message. What I'm telling you is this. We're going to win some, and we're going to lose some. We're going to be knocked down, and we're going to get back up. We're going to keep on struggling, and through the help of God, we're going to one day win the battle. We'll never ultimately win the victory until we are face-to-face with Jesus. But until then, we can walk in significant victory. But there's going to be a war. Even the best saints of God are going to struggle. How else can you explain pastors that fall? How else can you explain seemingly godly people going into adultery? How can you explain Christian leaders and Sunday school teachers who admit really heinous sins how do you explain the people of God who end up in jail or explain how God's people give in to anger or bitterness or rage or gossip the only way that I know how to explain it is the reality of indwelling sin and the struggle we all face so let's get practical here as we close what will help us in our struggle with sin Paul suggests three things in verse 24 and understand that these are only the first steps Another day, another Sunday, we're going to discover the other steps as we move through Romans chapter 8. But today, this is where we need to begin. Step one, honesty. Verse 24 says, what a wretched man I am. Now friends, that's a Christian talking. What a wretched man I am. Apart from Jesus, apart from the Holy Spirit, what a wretched person we are. Now you may have heard me say this before. You know the truth and the truth will set you free. But it will hurt you first. The reason many of us never grow as Christians is because we hear the truth intellectually, but we won't let it get close enough to hurt us. The truth never really changes us because we won't let it get close enough. Honesty is the first step to admitting your true condition. And here's step number two, humility. Going on in verse 24, who will rescue me from this body of death? And again, that's Paul talking. The difference between honesty and humility is that honesty says, I'm a wretched man. And humility says I'm a and humility says I cannot save myself. And as far as I know, there are only three things you can do with sin. <clears throat> One, you can deny it, and a lot of people do that. Two, you can try to deal with it on your own. That doesn't work. Or third, you can admit it and turn to Jesus and find forgiveness. <clears throat> and here's step number three complete dependence on the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer to everything he just said about his struggle with sin. And all of chapter 8 is comprehended in that one tiny statement, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, we're going to discover that there's a provision for victory. There's a provision for walking in the spirit. There's a provision to help you win the struggle with sin. And just remember this, it's not a formula, it's a person. It's not something on the outside. It is moment by moment dependent on Jesus and realizing that his power is enough to rescue you. You don't have to be defeated, although sometimes you will be. You don't have to stay in the muck and mire, although that's where you may find yourself from time to time. Through complete dependence on Jesus, there is a possibility of significant victory in your life. Romans 7 lies along the pathway of spiritual blessing. It is not the whole story, but it is the place where you must begin your spiritual walk with God. God wants you to go through Romans 7. He wants you to struggle with sin because that experience is meant to drive you into the arms of Jesus. The struggle that you are undergoing in your life right now doesn't mean you're a failure. It doesn't mean you're a bad person. God intends for you to struggle with sin so that in your struggle you will be stripped of your self-reliance and begin to trust in God and God alone. Does the fact that you struggle make you a failure? No. Does it make you a bad person? No. Does it make you a loser? No. Does it make you a substandard Christian? No. Do you know what it makes you? It makes you an excellent candidate for the grace of God. If you are struggling with sin, first of all, turn your life over to Jesus, if you've never done so before. Second, if you are a believer, hold on to Jesus and never let go. Hold on to him. Run to the cross and there find forgiveness and strength and healing. Your struggles are part of God's plan to make you holy. Your struggles are his strategy to make you like his son Jesus. And remember this, when you fail, and I said when, not if, but when you fail and when you struggle and when you fall, remember you've got good company. His name is Paul and he didn't really turn out so bad. So look up, my friends. Do you feel like you're trapped in the muck and mire of sin? Then run to Jesus and embrace the cross. Turn to him with your whole heart and you will discover that through Jesus the Christ, you can become more than a conqueror through him who loves us. Until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.